us, then we gon' be alright. I once saw a movie where a group of friends go to an island, okay? It's a touristy spot, and it turns out that the whole resort, this exclusive resort that they stay at, they're bad, okay? They're robbed, they're trapped, they're overtaken by the people of the resort, and it's terrifying, okay? There are lots of movies with a similar plot line, okay? Have you ever seen this scenario in film? Okay, I watched the movie many years ago, never thought of it again. Okay. But then in 2010, I was a youth pastor and we were planning a spring break missions trip to Mexico, Ensenada, Mexico. And so me and three of my staff members, we went down to kind of before and kind of scouted out, planned it out, what we we're going to be doing. And so we rent a car, we drive all the way down. Okay. We fill up the gas tank at San Diego before we even cross the border into Tijuana and then down to Ensenada. And we get gas and we do some work and we're driving down these bumpy roads and you know one of the best parts of having a rental car is that you hit those bumps a whole lot faster than you would than if it was your own car and so we're having some fun we have some downtime and so uh we had heard about this place called la bufadora okay in spanish it means the blowhole are you familiar with this place okay so we drive to la bufadora it's a touristy spot and so we get there and there's this parking guard. He tells us where to park. And there was just something about this parking guard. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. We parked the rental car and we have a half a tank of gas because I filled up in San Diego. And we walk through the, the shops and we barter for some knickknacks. And then we go to La Bufadora. And on that day, it wasn't great, okay? Uh, it, it, it didn't go very high. And so we walk back to our car and the sun is beginning to set. And I try and start the car and nothing happens, okay? I look at the gas. I, I, I hit the gas gauge uh, and there's, it's empty. And so I open the hood. I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I kind of look around and see if there's anything, you know, missing or wrong to no avail. And now that horror movie that I watched so long ago, the movie I haven't thought about in 10 years, is now at the forefront of my consciousness. So I, I approach the parking attendant and I go, uh, our car had gas in it. We go down to La Bufadora and now it doesn't, okay? Please explain yourself, okay? I'm mad, like I'm getting in defensive mode, okay? I'm in beast mode. And he says, yo no sé, yo no sé. It means I don't know, I don't know. But I do know, okay? He says, yo no sé. I say, yo sé, okay? I know. He insisted that he knows nothing, but I pointed at him and I said, I don't believe you. You're a liar. You sit on a throne of lies. You siphon gas from my car so that you could kill me and my friends, okay? It was a very tense few moments. Someone comes by who happens to be a mechanic. I explain the situation and how wrong and evil the intentions of this parking guard was. He opens the hood and he opens the fuse box. I didn't know there were any fuses there. He turns around and says, oh, there was a, there was a loose fuse. Has anyone been driving this car fast over bumps or anything? <laughs> who would do that? Okay, no. And he gets in the driver's seat, he starts the car, starts right up with a half a tank of gas. Then I make eye contact with my parking attendant friend. My bad, okay, my bad, I'm sorry, lo siento.
Okay, me mal, my bad, lo siento, I'm sorry. Now, so many of us white people have seen a movie. It's not an actual movie, but it's this story that runs in the recesses of our minds. And it doesn't allow us to see through the perspective of another. The movie is our lens in how we see the world. And sometimes it plays out in the mindset, well, if they would just do this and this, well, then they'd be out of those circumstances. We try and we, we try to simplify complexities and in so doing, we play these fictional movies that goes on in our head. Instead of actually listening to the real life experience and struggle of being a minority in this country. Now, I am a middle class white male, okay? I have no idea what it's like to be a minority. But Kendrick Lamar does, and he sings about it, and he raps about it. Kendrick Lamar Duckworth grew up in Compton, California. His parents moved from Chicago in the 1980s with $500 to their name. In his album, Good Kid, Mad City, Kendrick describes life growing up in Compton. Uh, the, here's the album cover, okay? He says this about the album cover. That photo says so much about my life and how I was raised in Compton. The things I've seen through innocent eyes. You don't see nobody else's eyes, but you see mine. My eyes are innocent, trying to figure out what's going on. Kendrick Lamar and his music have made an impact on countless people in our world. LeBron James said this about Kendrick Lamar. I love everything about his music. I can literally listen to his music and become a kid growing up with all the struggles in the inner city, but at the same time, learn all the lessons it taught that we use as men today. If you listen to the last verse of Black Boy Fly on Good Kid Mad City, I know exactly what he means because I was that kid. Uh, Pharrell said, uh, he's the Bob Dylan, the Miles Davis of our time, but he's his own thing. His ability to entertain while educating without ever being too preachy is amazing. Bono, the, the great Irish singer of U2 said, for a gentle dude, he throws a righteous punch. I wouldn't get in the way of it. No single artist will ever be the antidote to a generation's malaise, but just identifying some of the problems really helps. Kendrick Lamar has sold over 18 million albums. He's won 14 Grammys, 11 MTV Music Awards. He won an Emmy for last year's Super Bowl halftime show. His work is archived in the library at Harvard University. He also won a Pulitzer Prize. Is it Pulitzer or Pulitzer? I don't know, but I had to look up what it meant. And the Pulitzer Prize is regarded as the highest national honor in print journalism, literary achievement, and music composition. I'll say this once again, just because we are zooming in on a artist and their music, doesn't mean that we endorse everything that they've ever said or everything that they have ever stood for, okay? There are lots and lots of cuss words and vulgar language in Kendrick Lamar's music. And in regard to the violence that he sings about in Good Kid, Mad City, Kendrick said this, that was our world. I remember when Good Kid came out. The people I grew up with couldn't understand how we made that translate through music. 
They literally cried tears of joy when they listened to it because these are people who have been shunned out of society. But I know the kinds of hearts they have. They're great individuals. And for me to tell my story, which is their story as well, they feel that someone has compassion for us, someone who does see us further than just killers or drug dealers. We were just kids. So Good Kid, Mad City really puts Kendrick Lamar on the map. Um, his albums are always concept albums, okay? They tell a story. It's not just 12 unconnected tracks or songs. No, he takes you from somewhere from the start to the finish. Uh, the album ends with a teenage Kendrick witnessing his friend get shot and dying right in front of him. The biggest crime that I ever saw growing up was my sister stealing a pack of gum from the local grocery store and then my mom finding out, driving her back to the grocery store so she could apologize and pay for it. Kendrick describes all of his experiences in Compton through song, through rap, through story, what it's like growing up in Compton. He has said that most of the kids he knew from elementary school are either dead or in jail. At the end of Good Kid, Matt City, Kendrick finds God. He actually, Maya Angelou uh, plays a character on the streets of Compton and leads Kendrick in the sinner's prayer at one point in the album, realizing that the way of the gun is not the way of God. His next album, To Pimp a Butterfly, wins even more awards, comes with even more acclaim. And so he has now left the streets of Compton that are full of vice and temptation for the world of fame and fortune which has even more vice and temptation. And in that album, there's a fictional character that he sings about a lot named Lucy. And Lucy is a Satan figure, okay? Representing all kinds of temptations. Okay, Lucy is short for Lucifer. And she makes an appearance throughout the album. There's quite a bit about faith in his music. Now, if you are a Kendrick Lamar theologian, and we have some of them in our church, you're going to be very disappointed in my sermon, okay? So much of his music has such deep meanings um, that it, it would take years and has taken years to find out and discover all of its meaning. But we're gonna zoom in on just one song today. The song is called Duckworth, and it's an autobiography, okay? It tells the story of Kendrick Lamar, but it doesn't reveal that until the last line. It tells the story of his dad, and it tells the story of someone else in Compton named Anthony. Okay, Anthony was living the gangster life in Compton. Okay, he makes a lot of mistakes. He's living a life of drugs and alcohol and robbery. And in the song, Anthony is desperate and he's at the end of his rope. So he goes into a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Compton to rob it. Okay, he robbed the place the year before, and the dude behind the counter is a guy named Ducky. Ducky was working there to support his wife and young son. Ducky knew who Anthony was, his reputation, and his propensity for violence. So whenever Anthony came into the restaurant, he'd give him some extra chicken, give him some extra biscuits. So when Anthony walks in the, to the KC on that fateful night to rob it, he sees Ducky behind the counter. He has a change of heart. He doesn't rob it. He doesn't kill him. He leaves the restaurant that night. Anthony then begins to turn his life around, eventually becomes a music producer and opens up a studio in Compton. OK, 
okay? He's no longer Anthony, he's Top Dog, okay? Ducky, the KFC worker, has a son who started writing music at 13 and is signed to his first contract by Top Dog in Compton. And in that recording studio many years later, Anthony and Ducky meet each other again. Ducky's son, Kendrick, brings them together. And so at the end of the song, Duckworth, okay, Kendrick begins to reimagine what it might look like, what it might have been had his dad not given the extra chicken and the extra biscuits to Anthony all those times. And if Anthony would have made a different decision that very night. And not only that, this is the last song on the album, and with this reversal, the, this alternate reality, it, it changes everything that came before. And so if you listen to the album in reverse order, you get a completely different listening experience. Take a listen to Kendrick Lamar's song, Duckworth, now. It was always me versus the world Until I found it's me versus me just remember what happens on earth stays on earth. We're gonna put it in reverse. Oh, the true comedian, you gotta love him. You gotta trust him. I might be bugging. Infomercials and no sleep. Introverted by my thoughts. Children listening gets deep. See, once upon a time inside the niggas and garden projects, the object was the process and digest poverty's dialect. Adaptation inevitable. Gun violence. By federal policies, rape builders and drug professionals Anthony was the oldest of seven He brushed him off and walked back to the Kentucky Fried Chicken See at this chicken spot there was a light skin That talked a lot with a curly top and a gap in his teeth He worked the window, his name was Ducky He came from the streets, the Robert Taylor home Southside Project, Chirac, the Terra Dome Drove to California with a woman on him and $500 They had a son hoping that he'd see college Hustling on the side with a 9 to 5 to freak it Cadillac severely ride his son around on weekends Three-piece special with his name on his shirt pocket Cross the street from the projects, Anthony plant to rob it Stuck up the place before, back in 84 That's when affiliation was really eight years of war So many relatives telling us, selling us Devilish work, skeletons, crime, intelligent, villainous Prevalent proposition with nines Ducky was well aware, they robbed the manager and shot a customer last year he figured he'd get on these good sides Free chicken Every time Anthony posted in line Two extra biscuits Anthony liked them and then let them slide They didn't kill him In fact, it looked like they're the last to survive Pay attention That one decision changed both of their lives One curse at a time Reverse the manifest a good karma And i tell you why You take two strangers and put them in random predicaments Give them a soul so they can make their own choices and live with it Twenty years later, them same strangers you make them meet again Inside recording studios where they reaping their benefits Then you start reminding them about that chicken incident Whoever thought the greatest rapper would be from coincidence Because if Anthony killed Ducky, Top Dog could be serving life While I grow up without a father and die in a gunfight Did extra biscuits from Kentucky Fried Chicken change everything? I don't know, but they're, they're pretty delicious. Jesus says in Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Ducky blessed his enemy. He would have never known that the gangster who was going to rob him that night would become the producer that gives his son his first break. We all have enemies, okay? Think about yours. Some you, get, you gotta think hard. Who could they be? People you don't like, people that don't like us, 
people who don't want us to succeed. But for most of us, our enemies, they're not trying to kill us. They're not trying to oppress us. They're not trying to rule over us, have dominion over us. When Jesus said, love your enemies, nobody had to think about it. Okay, well, who are my enemies? No, they knew who their enemies were. It was the brutal Romans that affected every day of their lives. They made them carry their armor at a moment's notice. They crucified people to keep them in line. They mock the Jewish God. Nobody had to guess who their enemy was 2,000 years ago. Their life was constantly at stake. And yet, they were called to be peacemakers, to do good and to show love to their enemy. They were not called to rise up, but to stand down. And finding subversive ways to de-escalate the violence that was surrounding them in their world. Several years ago, a woman got into an argument on a New York subway and it turned violent. A stranger stopped the violence by standing between them and eating a bag of potato chips. It went viral. Check out this clip. In other places, citizens may dress up like Batman, or a kid might save the day by taking over the wheel when a bus driver becomes incapacitated. But in New York City, we have Snack Man. That's right, Snack Man to the rescue. Man breaks up subway fight by fearlessly eating potato chips. Whoa, 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 whoa. A man and a woman were fighting on the subway. She said he'd been following her. Enter Snack Man. One fan posted, that guy for president. His potato chip plan will bring peace to the Middle East. Notice, he de-escalates the violence in a very unorthodox way. The non-violent, other-centered way. It changed Ducky's life. It changed Top Dog's life. It changed Kendrick's life. Ivan Pavlov was a brilliant Russian scientist in the late 1800s. Okay, he won the Nobel Prize 1904 with his work with dog saliva. Okay. Pavlov knew why dogs salivated when presented with food. It's a biological response necessary for the dog's digestion. But in the course of conducting his experiments, Pavlov noticed that his canine subjects began to salivate when the people who fed them walked into the room, even if they brought no food at all. Pavlov began ringing a bell when food was presented. And after doing this for some time, he then rang the bell without presenting food and found uh, that the dogs salivated anyway. The dogs had come to associate an unrelated sensation, the sound of a bell, with the presentation of food. The idea is universally understood then, but in 1904, it was a pretty big insight. Uh, the importance of this insight was about more than how dogs salivate, okay? Pavlov's discovery showed how our brains can come to associate a neutral stimulus with something else that's completely unrelated. Uh, this goes for all five senses, si sounds, smells, sights, tastes, touches, and all other kinds of experience. And so what does that teach us? Well, all those who struggle with seemingly random acts of anxiety or panic or fear or all these other emotions that can sometimes break us down, we can find good news here, right? We can change our fear-based conditioning. We can, as Pavlov's dogs have shown us, unlearn. 
You see, once a dog made the connection between the ringing of the bell and food, Pavlov found that if he consistently rang the bell and presented no food to the dog, over time, the dog would stop salivating. What does that mean? We can unlearn fear. And in unlearning fear, we can unlearn violence. We can unlearn envy. We can unlearn hatred. We can unlearn racism. We can unlearn judgmentalism. We can unlearn all of these unhealthy movies, these stories, these lenses that shape how we see the world. You can change your story. You can unlearn these things. Irish philosopher Pete Rollins tells this amazing fable that there was once a young novice who set out on a pilgrimage to one of the world's great temples, the Temple of the East. And while on his journey, he stopped at a small village and was given hospitality in the hut of a childless couple. Before the novice set out the next morning, the husband said to him, you are going to the great temple of the East, yes? Please intercede for us and ask that the Lord bless us with a child. The novice agreed, and after he had offered various sacrifices in the temple that day, he said to the Lord, on my journey, I met a wife and a man. Uh, they were very gracious to me. Please be merciful to them and give them a child. However, the Lord replied with a heavy heart saying, I am truly sorry, but it is not in their destiny to have children. And the novice kind of put it out of his head and performed his devotions, traveled home. And many years later, this novice set out once more on the same pilgrimage, stopped at the very same village, in fact, was given hospitality by the very same couple. This time, however, there were two little children playing at the entrance of the hut. He approaches the man and says, Whose children are these? He asked. Mine, he replied. The novice was intrigued. The man went on. Soon after you left us, a great saint passed through our village. Like you, we offered him a place to stay for the night. Then the next morning, he blessed my wife and me. And these children are the fruits of that blessing. When the novice heard this, he could not wait to get to the temple and question the Lord. And so when he finally arrived, he races up the stairs at the entrance of the temple and he shouted to God, did you not tell me that it was not in their destiny that that couple have children? To which the Lord replied, yes, that's true. The guy said, they have two. When the Lord heard this, he paused for a moment, stared at the ground and then laughed out loud. And he said, well, that must be the doing of a saint for they have the power to change destiny. You are all saints. It is the most common word used in the New Testament to refer to the church. You're saints. You can change your destiny. If you are living in a way that is bringing darkness and conflict and discord and pain into your life, live a different way. Do things differently. You write your own story. If you continue to do the same things over and over again, expect to get different results, you won't. This is the message that we see in the scriptures. This is the message that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. This is part of what we see in the life of Kendrick Lamar. Einstein defines insanity this way. You know it, right? Continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results. If you keep do what you've always done and you expect different results, that's insane. We're all insane, but we're also saints. You could say we're in saints. You've got the power to change your destiny. 
We've actually got to be intentional about how we live and how we think will affect how we live. But stopping is so difficult. Pausing is so difficult. Slowing down and looking inward is hard to do. It is so much easier to continue to do what we've always done. But Jesus can free us from that. Jesus can open up our eyes that we can write a different story. We have a say-so. You have a say-so. If your life sucks, let's change it. Live differently. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to live differently. Help us to live lovingly. Help us to live powerfully. Help us to live righteously. Jesus, bring us to where you want us to go and give us eyes to see the paths before us. And may we choose you every time. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next Sunday, we are not at Bullard High School. Uh, at 10 a.m., we're moving our whole service over to United Skates of America in Clovis, and we're just gonna have a party, okay? We're gonna have uh, skating and an arcade and some cupcakes and launching of our new merch. Uh, and it's a free event for the entire community. So we wanna encourage you to invite someone to go with you. Uh, you've got a family with young kids that would love to go uh, skating for free. It's on us, come, let's have a party celebrating that all that God has done these first five years at Prodigal Church and we look forward to the next five. So we can't wait to see you next week at our fifth birthday party. Grace and peace in Ukraine. We gon' be alright. We gon' be alright. Do you hear me? Do you feel me?